This podcast was brought to you by mozo.com.au. Well, hey there. I hope you, all of you listening, are ready for some finance news because you've just tuned into another episode of The Finance Burrito. As always, I am Liv G and I'm here bringing a little bit of money knowledge from my day job at financial comparison website Mozo. And that is where my co-host and good pal Tom Watson also hails from. What's happening, Tom? Hey, Liv. How's it going? Um, I in kind of like typical me fashion, I am busy trying to find like a last minute secret Santa present as well <laughs> as an outfit for our Christmas oh, party terrifying. next week. Yeah, I totally forgot about it. So um, listeners, if you have any jungle themed ideas, that is the theme of the Christmas party, jungle. Yes. Um, any ideas that aren't Tiger King related, please <laughs> send them through. No yeah, keep it classy. Yeah. <laughs> See, I got a present <laughs> exactly. sorted really. I got a present sorted quick. I hadn't even thought about outfits, so now I'm thinking about that. But, you know, before I go rummaging through the closet, we should probably get into the finance news, hey? Yeah, let's do it. Here are the hot topics in Moneyland. So my first topic for the week is... It sounds a little unusual for us because it's about the colour of roofs, mm. um, which doesn't sound super financy. But since we often chat about property and energy prices, it's surprisingly relevant because they're all connected. Uh, basically, the crux of it is that the New South Wales government, so this is relevant just, just to the New South Wales state, is um, they're looking to ban the construction of houses with dark roofs. And it's not oh. because they're, you know just aesthetically not as pleasing as light ones. It's got some interesting reasoning behind it. Um, basically, the goal is to reduce ambient temperature, which just means like the temperature of the air around you. So like room temp, but outside um, and improve household um, energy efficiency. So good things. Um, when it comes to the outside temperature, it's relevant to this phenomenon of urban heat islands, which I've heard a lot over wow. the last couple of years. That's a yeah. cool phrase, urban it heat sounds, islands. It, it sounds cool, but it's in fact the exact opposite. It's very oh. warm. <laughs> <laughs> Lol. Um, but basically, so this, this phenomenon occurs um, when city suburbs, so it's generally high-density populations, when they haven't been constructed with enough like greenery to sort of balance out the roads and the buildings and various structures. And um, this is because since this infrastructure uh, naturally absorbs and re-emits the sun's heat more than a natural landscape like a forest, a garden, a body of water, um, it leads to higher temperatures mm. of the air. So um, some examples that you may have heard of that have popped up in the news over the last couple of years are suburbs like uh, Penrith and Parramatta in Sydney's west. And um, yeah, they're basically just born from this kind of this kind of urban design, which really compounds the heating effect of climate change. So the hotter it gets, the hotter these places get, as you'd imagine. And um, I thought it was a pretty interesting little tidbit. On January 4 last year, so in 2020, Penrith was the hottest place on earth for that day because it Whoa. was uh, 48.9 degrees Celsius. So Whoa, almost, that's uh, so hot. Yeah, halfway to boiling pretty much. And I'm um, sure there are like other places around the country that are similar to these, oh, right? for sure. Like the, yeah, 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 yeah. These are just a couple of New South Wales examples I brought up, and a lot of it is um, around Sydney because it's just yeah the, the metropolitan centre mm, of the state. The sprawl, but yes, yes, yes. There are corresponding heat islands in and around a lot of other major cities. Um, but as opposed to just the you know the outdoor temperature of the of the birds themselves, it's also relevant to the homes. So 
Apparently having lighter coloured roofs, as you might expect, means pretty much the same thing for the indoors as it does for the outdoors. So it absorbs mm. less heat and therefore it's easier to cool the inside of the building, which is, you know, a win for reducing emissions for homes that are powered by non-renewable sources and are looking to um, yeah, pump the aircon when it gets hot. So, yeah, those are basically, that's like a two, bit of a two-pronged thing. And um, the plan, the state government plan, has been proposed in, uh, in line with this announcement for this sort of like fresh urban design approach in the southwest Sydney suburb of Wilton. Um, and it'll be like a champion for these new standards of having green spaces in the area, ha- having more tree coverage and only building um, new homes with light colour palettes that are doing like all, all kinds of new um, projects they're doing with this, these kind of urban design principles um, as a kind of test in a way. And I thought it was just a, a couple of interesting little comments from um, the Planning and Public Spaces Minister, Rob Stokes, who um, was saying things like sort of like the fundamentals of good design and planning should really be a focus in reducing our emissions as well as the, the sort of like yet to be developed technologies that um, Prime Minister ScoMo was sort of pointing to a lot during the COP26 talks <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So a bit of jibing there among the libs. So they it's like, like you they're know, jibing. They're Bit of healthy jibing, um, but yes, that's been interesting. But what does it, you know, mean for you out there in the hot, hot suburbs of anywhere? Hopefully, it means good <laughs> things. <laughs> um, if you live in, um, yeah, metropolitan area of New South Wales, and yeah, they haven't really said much about what this trial in Wilton will eventually mean. But I think there's kind of like an assumption that it'll it'll either prove one way or the other if the approach is sort of valuable both in bringing the air temp down. And reducing household energy consumption, and you know, this with it with an example to go off, it could mean the state government may invest more in you know greening up concrete-heavy city burbs, mm. as well as ensuring you know new houses have color pastel palettes to to <laughs> match, and you know hopefully the rest of the country follows suit. But it's you know it's a long game, and we will see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mm. just it's crazy to me that these suburbs haven't been built with trees. Like it's yeah. I mean, they have some trees. It's not like do, it's but, ultimate Like we've universe. all driven through these places, and they're like they're so treeless compared to mm. other places. And aside from the, the 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 heat part of it, it's just not very pleasant. So yeah. it's about bloody time they did something like this. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, good. It's a good story. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, yeah. I'm going to continue on the uh, the property news, well, the kind mm-hmm. of property adjacent news for uh, my first news topic this week. Although uh, my news is, I guess, a, a little bit more traditional. Um, it's a tale as old as time and uh, oh. one that we've touched on plenty of times on the podcast before. It's rising property prices. <gasps> Yay! Oh so over the weekend, an article published in the Fairfax papers caught my eye and basically... Um, it kind of revolved around some research that the uh, the good people at CoreLogic supplied to the Sitting Bonnie Herald on The Age, which found that one in every four homes across Australia is now worth $1 million or more. <laughs> yes, one <laughs> in oh, four. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Let's just digest that for a second. Uh, mm. As you might expect, Sydney homeowners are the uh, the most likely to have a million dollar property, with fifty two percent of homes valued in that kind of seven figure range. And mm. it's a similar story in Melbourne, where a third of properties are priced over the million dollar mark. So I guess the question is, though, 
are you even shocked, Liv? Like, mm. does a million dollars feel unusual for you as a Sydney dweller? You know, it still feels very unattainable for me in my life goal to think about purchasing a million dollar property, but it's like not, it's not surprising. It doesn't make me, you know, necessarily look up and be like, oh yeah, a million dollars for a house in Sydney. Who would no, have guessed? I, I, I totally agree. Mm. I think, I think kind of over nationwide yeah that's what really got me I'm like oh my god that is yeah, yeah. for sure like compared to where my sister <laughs> lives a lot of houses. in in regional regional housing and you can buy a house that's you know three bedroom for like three hundred four hundred thousand dollars it's a pretty big difference but um so true yeah yeah so i don't know if it's just me um but it feels like we've been kind of like having this same <laughs> conversation for years, at yeah. least since I've been kind of writing about finance, but uh, kind of even more so in the in the past 12 months. And I guess that's because we have been, we have been having these conversations because property prices have surged dramatically. So let me just chuck a couple of numbers um, out first for a bit of context. Yeah. So while you know prices they obviously vary depending on location property prices in many areas have risen by more than 20% in the past <sighs> year alone and you know that that's with the context that um mm. they weren't necessarily low to start with in fact I'd say the opposite. Yes. <laughs> they were quite high. <laughs> and what kind of like really adds to the drama and also my own feelings of immense hopelessness on this subject <laughs> is that um, wages haven't boomed alongside these property price rises. So, you know, can you imagine if everyone had received a 20%, you know, growth in their salary Bloody over the past year? It would be, yeah, it would be nuts. <laughs> it would be great. So um, while wage growth is kind of slowly climbing back to pre-pandemic levels, um, more analysis from trusty old core logic shows that property price growth, um, it far outstrips wage growth in the long term. So over the past 20 years, there's been an 81.7% rise in national mm -hmm. wages. But over that same period, home values have gone up um, just a tick over 193%. Cool. So considerably more, considerably more. Uh, and that's just nationally because in Tassie, property values have soared by 300% oh. while wage growth has kind of hovered in the like the 80% range. Yeah, so, um, because everyone yeah. wants to escape to Tasmania so it looks nice and green. Exactly, <laughs> because they've got, they've got, you know, trees on yeah, their streets. they and, love that you know, stuff. Light-coloured ruse is what people want. But, 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 there is a, you know, a small glimmer of light mm. in all this. Um, so a couple of banks reckon that there's going to be a bit of a price reprieve coming soon. Ooh. So CPA's economist came out this week with a forecast that property values will drop by 10% in two years' time. All right, so, all right. Yep, two years' time. That's the, the bit we should bold there. Um, and naturally, it... it it won't happen all at once. Like it's not just going to drop 10% in, you know, April, 2022. Damn, um, they it's say over. That, yeah, <laughs> damn. Uh, they say that uh, growth will continue and then kind of slow into next year before heading into negatives in 2023. Mm. And ANZ also released some similar predictions earlier in the month with uh, both banks um, kind of banking on the RBA bringing the cash rate back up next year or late next year, which will obviously um, play a role in, in all of this. So mm. what does this mean for you? Well, um, it's sounding like buying a house may be more doable, right? Well, maybe. Mm. 
or maybe not. Mm. It's, uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's important to remember that these kind of predicted reductions, um, if they do actually pan out, yeah. um, they'll be happening after the biggest housing boom we've seen since the 1980s. So even you know, if a major price reduction did occur, you're still going to be looking at a substantial home deposit and a mortgage just because of how you know far things have come uh, price-wise over the past couple of decades. Plus, you know, it's happening at a time where wage growth has remained relatively stagnant for a decade, and home loan interest rates are you know likely only going to be going up. So you definitely want to make sure that you can manage your home loan repayments long term before you jump into the market. Anyway, yes. that's my rosy bit of news. So uh, what do you got for us next, Liv? I've got um, a bit of drama, which I think uh, oh, is exciting, kind of. Um, I like, you know, I like anything that's sort of a bit of a, a bit of a fight in finance, you know, spice it up a bit. So my next bit of it's news... It's just like money fight, slinging dollar bills at each other? Not quite. Um, we, we will get there, though. Uh, but my next oh, bit yeah, true. Yeah. the news is about uh, salary transparency, which is a topic that I really like talking mm. about. Um, and so the deets on this come by way of the AFR, an article that I read this week. And basically, the situation is that Commonwealth Bank has uh, recently fired a newly rec- recruited home loan consultant um, and explicitly stated that it was in part, the firing was in part, because he discussed his salary with colleagues, which is apparently contractually not allowed by ComBank. It's written in their contracts oh, that they're not allowed to do okay. this. Yeah, a bit exciting. And so now the Finance Sector Union, which is the name of that union, is um, they're taking legal action against CBA on the basis that uh, sacking the employee actually impinged on their right their rights to uh, make a workplace, you know, complaint or inquiry since basically he was concerned that he was being um, underpaid. So it's like, it's a bit of a situation, but it gets even more complicated. So I'll try, I'll keep it brief, but basically uh, ComBank's CEO, Matt Common, is that how you say it? There's a Y in there. So uh, separate to this, he actually criticized these pay secrecy clauses in a uh, parliamentary inquiry in September and said that they actually weren't enforced by the bank. So the CEO is well, out there. Why are they in there? Yeah, the CEO is out there saying they're shit, we're not enforcing them, and then this guy is fired, and part of the reasoning is uh, because of these uh, pay secrecy clauses. Um, plus, the consultant who was fired claimed that he never actually told anyone or asked for like specific remuneration details. Instead, he just asked about the penalty rates people were receiving under their varied contracts because people are often hired on on contracts that aren't you know identical even if they do their same Mm. job um basically just to figure out if he was like owed overtime which he then says once he did like the calculations that did turn out to be the case according to him um yeah so lots of like but then but then but then um one more but then is that, of course, it wasn't the only reason given for his termination. So CBA also said to the consultant and has stated since that um, that he wasn't punctual, didn't adhere to his work call schedule. Not exactly sure what that means. Um, he captured confidential customer information with his phone. So maybe he screenshotted something. I reckon that sounds like. And what? even apparently provided customers with incorrect information. Um, right. Yeah. And they're going to be defending the claim that he was, you know, effectively dismissed unfairly under these secrecy clauses um, with, uh, you know, through the Fair Work Commission. But 
the union who's sort of you know backing this guy and and making the um opposing opposing the bank in a, in a legal argument they're saying that these reasons were only cited to cover up the original pay issue you Oof. know so there's a lot yeah. of there's a fair bit of like bank said he said uh stuff going on it's pretty scandalous Lots of twists and turns it's a game of thrones style <sighs> i know there's a lot um but can like... we get this in front of like judge judy or someone <laughs> like that I, I need these yeah need these twists you want in, a, in the courtroom you want a, a dramatic reaction to match the drama of it but what is it <laughs> yeah, exactly. what does the drama all really mean for you know everyone who's not part of the case i think it's I think it is more important than just the details of this case because it really contributes to a broader discussion that we've had a lot before about how mm. salary transparency can, you know, impact workplace power structures and eventually pay equality. So the argument of many people or organizations that are pro-salary transparency, including myself, so talking about how much you get paid and being allowed to do so, the argument is that by you know prohibiting or even just discouraging employees from discussing pay you're kind of creating an environment where equality inequality can flourish and it's you know especially so for workers who may have experienced low pay before or may just be like really inexperienced like it's your first job you don't know what's going on and so you don't really know mm. your true value within an organization or or an industry perhaps and yeah so it just really fuels that cycle of of inequality and keeps the disadvantage down while at the end of the day it's benefiting employer employers who as a result of keeping pay secret and separate from all the employees they may just have fewer people feeling empowered enough to you know ask for a pay rise at the end of the day that's sort of what it's about asking for more money um mm. yeah so big talk big thoughts but uh, big talk indeed but important i mm. yeah I, I really like that subject so well, uh, well done finding that little, uh, that little bit of drama. Yeah, court a, reporter uh, for the day. Moment. I like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, shifting on to uh, our last story of the day now, which is a, a bit of a bit of a lighter story. Mm. It's uh, quite funny as well, if I do say so. Um, so this week, uh, funny bit of news is coming uh, all the way from sunny old California. Mm. So. The story took place last week on a freeway outside of San Diego when it started raining. Raining cash. What? Yes. <laughs> that was a fun pause. Cash. Yeah, well, thank you. Oh, I was really practicing that dramatic mm. pause. Um, so that's because an armored car let uh, their back door swing open while driving on the freeway and a bag full of $1 and $20 bills fell out. <sighs> broke apart and then ended up covering the lanes in you know green in these dollar bills it was raining money Um, (laughs) there's a there's a video going around showing um what looks like thousands of bills all over the freeway and the roadside Mm. so it uh it makes sense that you know the traffic it they you know stop because could you know get stuck in your your windscreen and obstruct your vision uh, sure. but also as you may expect it was because people jumped out to grab the cash um so even though it sounds like a dream um it is illegal to take money that's not yours uh even if you know a careless guard drops it out of the back of their truck mm. and um the highway patrol they did end up arresting two people on the scene for snatching up bills oh, but uh right. perhaps only because they weren't able to make a quick getaway since they uh reportedly locked themselves out of their own car in the rush oh, to grab that money guys, so, just yeah, terribly organized i gotta say 
<laughs> if you're going to be an opportunist, then at least have that uh, that kind of like plan you're ready to go your getaway vehicle ready to go and don't lock yourselves out (laughs) yeah um but it does seem that there were some uh some very honest folk in the mix as well Mm. because the police have come out and said that about a dozen people have since handed uh cash back over to the cops and um they're not yeah but they're not actually saying how much was lost um which is typical which probably means that there was a lot mm. um but you know i'm sure uh, some dedicated youtubers could uh, analyze that figure and find out because i'd uh, i'd definitely be interested oh big time i want to like i want to say that i'd be really virtuous and be one of those people who goes and hands it in but when i think about it i've definitely kept money that i found on the ground before you know like i didn't return it oh, to the nearest police station and i was thinking the armor guard company probably has insurance. Like they'd have to, right? That's that's part parcel yeah. of that business. Although then there was that video evidence of the crime. So maybe overall too risky potentially. There's too many power structures in place that were involved. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about this. I was thinking way too much about this. What would I do in this situation? Okay. I was like, couldn't we can we grab some of the cash and then go to the police station and hand some of it in. Ah, just the so $1 it looks bills. like we're doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. And then keep all the 20. Ooh. So, you know, it's kind of a bit of a, a mix of both sides. Devious. So, I don't know, a victimless <laughs> crime perhaps, unless the uh, the poor old security guards, <laughs> you know, they're going to get fired if the, all the money isn't returned, which I oh, hope isn't true. the case. True, I didn't think I about know. that. Well, if, if the police, yeah. Yeah, if the company promises not to let that happen, then a promise that we won't be thieves and we're, uh, we're not thieves. We're, we're just here we're to share totally sound and legal ideas about personal finance. That's all we do. We don't do any thievery. Um, <laughs> but I reckon, I reckon we're at capacity for it for the day. What do you think? Yeah, I reckon so. But uh, we will be back in your podcast feeds soon with some more money insights and quandaries, Always. if we can find them. Um, but until then, you can find more Brito content on our wonderful social pages. So go check those out. Yeah, big thanks for everyone tuning in once again. And props to the Brito team, including Claire on production, Ella on research, and Rihanna on the socials. Thank you all and see you next week. See you guys. Just remember, as Mozo Riders, we're providing general financial product information. So we're not taking into account your specific financial situation, needs, or personal objectives. We are not recommending any specific product to you. The best advice we can give is for you to make your own financial decisions and seek out independent advice. This podcast was brought to you by mozo.com.au.